security is everybody's job, right? I'm tracing it back to my days in audit and compliance almost like 12 years ago. And I can easily see that whether it's risk or compliance or your security itself, everybody's job, right from your basic development, application developers to your business itself, right? You need to at least make sure like your risk and security is kind of adopted within the workflows very early on. Welcome to the Future of Application Security, a podcast for ambitious leaders who want to build a modern and effective AppSec program. Doing application security right is really hard. Now I'm going to help you build a better future of AppSec at your company by curating the lessons from the leaders. I'm your host, Harshal Parik, CEO of Tromso. And without further ado, let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Future of Application Security. Today, at the guest we have is Arunish Salhotra. Arunish has been a security practitioner for a very long time. He's been a fractional CISO, is actively advising other CISOs, security teams, other startups, investing in startups, security research, a lot of stuff that he manages on an everyday basis. Arunish, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. Now, Arunish, we've talked a lot about a lot of different aspects. We've talked, we were talking about AI research and quantum computing and application security and a bunch of other things. But I enjoy these things because you've been in this space for a long time. You've been in technology for a long time and have spent a lot more time in security recently. Tell me about just your career journey. Where did it start? How did you get into security and why are you in security? Oh, I mean, like it's a long journey for sure, right? I mean, I've been in technology for over 24 years now. I started off my career doing more or less like a kernel level development for a couple of my clients in Japan and, and South Korea itself. This is back in India. And right around the same time, telecom started picking up. So I spent almost like two years within the telecom. And one of the things that I realized was Internet was definitely booming around the same time. I'm talking like early 2000. And one of the things I realized back in the day is that it's going to explode quite exponentially. And this is something that we see now, like 20, 24 years after that one. To answer your the second question, my journey into security really started in 2005 for two reasons, right? One, without naming the company that I was involved in, I sort of got a source code breach that happened within my organization. And that time logging was not a big thing. Audit logging was non-existent that what's happening. And based on some control that I had placed, I, I used to manage like development and also like all the CICD back in the days. And through some of the control that I had put in place, I was able to actually detect that something bad really happened. And we had to actually involve like the federal government into the mix, which was kind of like a very shady thing that we had to go through. But I think that would be a first foray from security. And also, at the same time, I used to write for open source journal. I used to get paid also, believe it or not. These days, nobody gets paid writing for a magazine. But I used to get paid. And a couple of topics that I used to research and write about was around security. And also, now what we call DevOps, right? How do you operationalize your development processes, right? So those two examples, I would say, really started my security journey. And then on and off in different engagements, whether I was directly doing security or I was doing like BCPDR for organization. And quite 
frankly, for almost 20 years now that I've been in the financial industry. And again, like if anybody is listening and is from a financial background itself, all the regulations that you have to at least stick with for your application uptime or uh, what data is coming in, what data you're sharing outside, what kind of client data is, is, is you're storing. I think all that nuances make the security and the risk like a very important stuff for organization. So I would say like my security uh, has been on and off throughout my career and almost like four, four, four and a half years, I was doing like predominantly mainstream security, whether it's building AppSec programs for organization or looking at security awareness training, building application security champion program for organization, looking at what's happening today and what's possible tomorrow. And I'm like a big proponent about automating processes. Amazing. Yeah, and look, your experience around how to make security relevant at scale at large organizations, that's that's very relevant for other companies who are looking to get there. They may not be as large or as mature, but having seen and built what good looks like at complex places, it really gives a very interesting perspective on how should you start the right way from the get-go. So you talked about some very interesting things, especially in financial services. And I, and I agree, I mean, financial services sector is generally much more mature, much more sophisticated in security practices. An obvious thing is to go back to like the type of data they handle and sensitivity of the data and whatnot. But do you believe that regulation has some sort of role to play in this in terms of driving this maturity or sophistication or the rigor of how actively security controls are implemented in FinServe versus the rest of the enterprise? or I would agree to that one to a good extent, especially with SEC and other regulators uh, coming behind all organization. If you talk about all the new regulations that are coming in, where any material breach that happens in organization, you actually have to report back within X number of hours or X number of days. In case of SEC, it's like four days, you actually have to report, you have to file like a 10K or 8K report itself. So I think it's a necessary evil, I would say. Like back in the days, both the auditors and regulations was very, very heavy for organization. And I used to find like organizers spending so much money on this one. And being a formal developer itself, I used to find it very, very taxing for my teams to actually focus on this one. But fast forward 2022, 2023, where a lot of regulations across the globe have become very, very stringent. There are regulations which is talking about how you're storing the data how you're actually managing your pen testing programs and how often do you do that. I think it's it's a necessary event for organizations to have. And I would strongly believe that regulation itself had had a huge impact in how organizations are dealing with their vulnerabilities within their own stack itself. And it's right. not just only in application security. It's like very, very broad. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I mean, recently SEC has made that as a, like they've set the expectation for pretty much every single public company that you have to disclose material breaches and file an 8K notification with the SEC. But also their action with the SolarWinds case, do you believe that is driving, you know, a different approach as compared to before in terms of holding people accountable and CISOs or security teams holding their their organization more accountable for remediation of things? Yeah, I mean, like, I don't think so. It's just the regulation, but even for like a private entities itself, right? If you are storing information on behalf of your clients, right? You should have some onus on that. You should be held accountable no matter what, right? If, if there is a breach happening because you forgot to do something or you forgot to act, uh, turn on a particular switch, right? 
that's a responsibility that you should have as an organization. Like, how, how can you forget switching on, okay, I'm going to enable like encryption for all my PIA data, for example, right? That's a complete no. Yeah, 100%. And this is a very different level of scrutiny and accountability, which is a good thing, in my opinion, for the industry, as compared to what it used to be even just a few years ago. And since, you know, since you've been around the block for a little bit, what have you seen has changed traditionally what that was what was followed in security teams, security practices, whether it's AppSec or cloud security or whatever, as compared to the more modern approaches that you see now? What's your take on that? A couple of things I see happening. And I would say that maybe like three years ago, or pandemic, and I saw like a lot of very young startups coming in and really disrupting the market, right? Like if I look back in open source market, right? Open source definitely comes with licensing issues. If you know about like Linksys and Cisco fiasco back in 2003 or what happened with Equifax and stuff, right? It's a very traditional approach. And I think it was very effective many, many years ago where the number of application and the number of upload that organization was very limited and you didn't add that amount of issue that you had to fix. Fast forward, like maybe 2015, when cloud really picked up a lot and then containers came into the mix 2018 or 2019 in a big push where I think organization, their workload has increased maybe 3x or maybe 5x. I cannot quantify that, but, but at least 3x is definitely a figure that I can say very confidently. So the workload definitely has improved and the traditional approaches cannot scale that well. I mean, like even back in the days, there are issues around like friction with developers where you would spend like maybe three to maybe four days in validating a security scanning finding. Yep. And if you're talking about 3x more complex, you're talking about nine days or maybe 10 days. And then because of time to market is important for the business. So you are fighting that particular battle and that cannot your traditional approach cannot scale, right? So you actually think out of the box, like, okay, what can we do? So there are a lot of younger companies and, and a lot of mature companies that have come about, which is talking about, I'll take a simple example around reachability analysis, right? Mm -hmm. Like, is that vulnerability that is supposedly tagged against my application? Can that be exploited? And if so, what are the signals from outside? What is the threat intel feed saying? whether it's happening or it's more of a possibility without any exploit kit being there, right? So there are two approaches that organization can definitely take is a one, one is called like a call graph approach where you do like a static analysis for your source code and, and figure out, okay, is this library in my call path or not? That's one approach. And the other approach would be a runtime SCA, which is talking about creating your SCA at runtime. If you're not loading a particular class, if you take it back to Java good old days in 2003 and four, which is don't load all the classes at inception, only load when it's required. The same thing applies in the SCA. If it's not getting invoked itself, why do you actually have to fix it, right? So that's, that's a mind shift change. And again, like I think there is a lot of education that is required for the regulators and the auditors to prove them that, okay, my Solution A is saying that my library B is going to be exploited, but that's just one signal, right? But what signal is coming from outside? You can say, okay, this is something that we scaled down from a critical to maybe a medium level issue for such and such reason, right? So if you can articulate and provide like a proof, I think it's, it's a much better conversation with the regulators than trying to do the traditional approach that I'm going to fix everything, which is CVSS 4 or maybe 7 or up for my organization. 
Yeah, that's a fantastic point. And selfishly speaking, at Tromso, that's exactly what we do, right? We bring together this context about EPSS, threat intel, vulnerability, along with the business context. Like, is this an internal lunch menu app or is this a credit card processing, customer-facing service, right? How do you make that differentiation? But keeping Tromso aside, that is the need of the day because, as you said, every single security team is drowning in this high volume of alerts from many different sources. So how do you actually make it actionable for the dev team so they can focus on really the few things that are important across application or cloud or compliance or privacy or what have you? There's multiple different priorities. So I love your mindset of bringing additional context into this, whether it's through call graph or runtime. The idea is how do you make it easy for the developer to actually figure out what's important and fix that? And, and while proving to the auditors that we did make a good business decision here, right, with that auditability. And I guess that becomes much more possible in today's world where you have access to those cloud APIs or Kubernetes pods and clusters and things where you can extract some of this information to be able to make these decisions or, or even look into call graphs or deploy a, you know, a runtime something to extract this information. This probably wasn't even possible in you know 10 years ago uh, when everything Absolutely. was bare metal. And in fact, on top of like SCA, there are other like shift that I see within the industry is having an approach from a attack service, right? How do you manage your attack service? Rather like, I'll probably maybe keep it very, very simple, right? What do you mean by attack surface, right? Is attack surface only your assets which are externally facing or uh, you would consider your SaaS application with, that you're using, whether it's Salesforce service now your CMDBs, which is most likely sitting on the cloud, right? That yep. becomes an extension of your attack service, right? Having a holistic picture of your attack service, all my external assets, all my certificate itself, all my consumption outside my organization, my data coming in and going out. I think having a comprehensive view of your attack surface becomes very, very important. Then you can actually allocate your resources, your money, your budget itself appropriately. Right. Yeah, you know, this is one of those interesting points where I'd, I'd like to play devil's advocate here because I understand the desire to build a full comprehensive view of every single SaaS service, every single asset that might be accessible or visible externally. But is it even realistic to get there? Now imagine a reasonably sized enterprise where you have, you know, salespeople all, all over the world or customer service people all over the world who are using whatever systems they want. Somebody's using Asana, somebody's using Salesforce.com. Yes, you can put enterprise controls around it to bring it under control, but it is just so easy these days for somebody to open, you know, a Google Drive document on the phone with their corporate account, but then end up sharing it through their personal account accidentally because they have the same Google Drive app as using multiple different accounts, right? So inadvertently, people will start signing up for, you know, asana.com or monday.com or whatever to keep track of tasks and all those kinds of things. If I wear my CISO hat, then I know I want to get all of that under control and I want that visibility. But is it even possible to get to that state? I think my vision of the world is like, okay, there is a wish list, right? Let's say my wish list is exactly what we're talking about, right? I would say like it's not possible today, but I also cannot discount the fact like with all the innovation that's happening, and all the flexibility and power of your web proxies, for example, right? You can connect all these dots together and with emphasis on the tool consolidation, right? There are a lot of companies which are saying, okay, I'm going to do X, Y, and maybe a Z, and also like maybe 
to another feature within my suite of products, right? So I think you would see a trend where, uh, without naming a solution out there, right? Let's say there is a leading web proxy, which is doing A and a B and a C. You will see like there's also doing like a D and E, which makes this like very, very closer to the utopian state, right? Where you have yeah. like end-to-end -end visibility on this. And I can foresee that it might become a reality in the next two to maybe three years where you would not need like five different solutions to achieve this one. You can possibly do it with two solutions, for example. Yeah, and that's an interesting perspective, just getting that full end-to-end -end visibility of where the software supply chain is. I'm using this in a very different world where we are talking about SaaS services and where are your employees consuming the software and how is it being used? But also if we take the same narrative into the actual, the traditional definition of software supply chain, which is you have a number of different developers and where they're using the dependent, getting the dependencies from, where they're building the containers off of, all of those kinds of things, where is your third-party software coming from? That, getting visibility to that as well, is it's, it's very, very tricky at a reasonably sized organization. What have you seen in terms of effective ways to do that at scale? I think that it's a multifold answer in this one, right? Definitely having a view of what is being used within organizations. And I'll probably take uh, one of the examples, which is I think true for Google, Netflix, and Apple itself, right? Having a focus on like open source consumption for your organization, right? What is allowed, what is not allowed. And this is a very alien concept for most of the organization at the, at the moment because there is no like a central function within organization which exists say okay i'm going to remove this particular messaging framework let's say a and i'm moving to b itself right there is like not like a governing function especially mm -hmm. if you are like a 10000 or 20000 or 100000 people organization you have three of these things right the focus needs to be coming from top down and then you can actually have these solutions actually put the controls in place right so a good approach would be establishing like an OSP office. I think it's working for some of the mature, very mature organizations out there. And I named a few. There might be more, but these are like the three organizations that I know where their OSPO, including Intel also has like OSPO implementation, is very, very effective, right? I think that needs to actually scale in other organizations in different other verticals where you could actually have very tight control. And you would see that it kind of, moves on from open source to also your SaaS applications, your CI/CD plugins, for example, right? It's a natural progression. I've made sure like it, it's working for uh, vertical A, then I'm going to do it for vertical B and I'm going to do it for vertical C, right? So you, it's a natural progression, right? So one aspect in having like a end-to-end -end visibility, what's happening in my organization, if something is part of my diverse list, like let's say I'm retiring something, having a focus on that one. So you start small, not enforce, but like getting some visibility. And I think based on the maturity for organization, you start saying, okay, I'm not just getting a visibility. I'm also enforcing all these controls. So the moment you see you're using a messaging framework, A, for example, you're going to start failing the build, right? So those are the approaches typically that I see very, very effective. And this is something that I've implemented in one of my clients itself, which is like a very mini scale OSP office that had been stood up. What does OSP stand for? It's like open source program office. Got it. Fantastic. So I, I see a lot of parallels in this setting this governance framework between, let's say, financial functions within a company. 
like typically you would have in a multi-business unit organizations, there would be the finance team that would set how the company spends money. What are you allowed to spend money on and what are you not allowed to spend money on? What are the principles? Because you have to, you know, comply with the uh, auditing, accounting practices and whatnot. And since a lot of the aspects of software security or security in general are becoming regulated, there's more top-down governance coming from the government. I can imagine this type of regulation or governance framework being more and more effective to drive down policies or controls around what kind of software you should be building and how you should be doing it. Similar to how everyone just accepts, like, you know, this uh, central, you know, office of finance told us that we can do these things within within this budget or within we can spend money on these things and not on these things. And you just follow it. You just have to do it. You'll get in trouble if you don't do it. In the same way, similar directives can come in from a software perspective as well. And if you're a developer, you just have to do it. And you can get in trouble if you don't follow those principles. But I guess the industry is not yet as mature for that type of regulatory or governance framework just yet. And something I just remembered, right? I did like a presentation in All Day DevOps and one of my opening slides talked about like security is everybody's job, right? Yeah. And I'm tracing it back to my days in audit and compliance, uh, almost like 12 years ago. And I can like easily see that whether it's risk or compliance or your security itself, everybody's job, right from your basic application developers to your business itself, right? Like you need to at least make sure like your risk and security is is kind of adopted within your workflows very early on, right? And the investment that you put on establishing the processes early on would bear fruits one year, two years, five years from now, right? Right. And this is the kind of maturity that I seek in organization. Phenomenal. Yeah. So do you think the role of an application security professional, is that changing at all? Since you mentioned a lot of these changes about, you know, how AppSec has changed in general from traditional methods to more modern methods. Do you think the people, their responsibilities are also changing? I think it's definitely changing. And I would say like all these complexities and all these possibilities are coming around at a perfect point, right? So you have your number of applications is going up, the complexity of your application is going up. But at the same time, you have all these different solutions coming in, which makes this complex job more easier, right? Like if I take one of my favorite example is for invalidating your security finding, you can possibly spend like two to four days. But now there is possibilities of, I can reduce that two days into maybe half a second of a scan, right? Where it will scan the code and say, okay, you don't even have to fix it, right? So all this is coming at the right time. And also with everything that's happening in the AI side of thing, right? If I have to ask a chatbot, okay, give me a feedback of what particular library I should be using for Log4j, for example, or, or some logging framework, right? It actually can give like a feedback immediately. And it's not just your security champions or security practitioners, it's also your developers. I think one of the tenants for a successful application security is empowering your developers, empowering your testers to be self-sufficient, right? Gone are the days when you actually have to spoon feed or like provide them guidance or, or give them videos. I think if you can actually bring the right solution for your organization, the time it takes for a developers to find and fix the vulnerability is definitely reducing. So AI has both the positive and a negative connotation in today's world. And I would say like most of these solutions that exist right now, or especially the newer ones, I think using the AI into that one 
in a very effective fashion where fruits, especially for the development teams as well as your security teams. It's amazing. I'm so excited having talked to all of these different things that show me that there's a lot more positivity in our space. There's things are about to get better quickly because all of these things look like very much of a real possibility, right? Things about using different pieces of context to figure out what's important, to leverage AI, to make a developer's job easier, to drive remediation faster, manage your risk more effectively. This has been an incredible conversation, Arnish. Thank you so much for being in the podcast and I appreciate your time here. Thanks for having me. I love this conversations. Likewise. Thanks for listening to The Future of Application Security. If you've enjoyed this episode or you are new to the show, I'd love to have you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any episode. And if you like the podcast, I'd be grateful if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening.